Welcome to the show. This is Arnold here, and today we are talking with Gideon Grossman, who is a Princeton graduate, serial entrepreneur, programmer that gets to work anywhere he wants, so he chooses to work and live by the beach, and just an overall dream chaser. first podcast today i'm interviewing my roommate gideon grossman who graduated from princeton he grew up in new jersey and he went against what everyone else told him and decided to chase his dream and move to california actually first he moved to hawaii so let's uh get a brief story on what gideon is all about can you share with me what your upbringing was like hey well it's really good to be here i'm flattered that you wanted to interview me. I grew up in West Orange, New Jersey, which is a typical suburban town in New Jersey, and it was a Jewish community. So my upbringing was pretty much focused on the neighborhood. We'd have a lot of dinners at the neighbor's house, play basketball at the Hoffers, then go swimming at the Gruen's pool. So it was very different from growing up in 2019 with phones and video games. I was probably the worst at video games in my grade. My friends didn't teach me that you could double jump, super mar- super what is what's it called Super Smash Bros. Yeah, so I would Mario. just fall off the edge of the world, and I was very happy with that because there's nothing better than spending your childhood days outside, living in the moment. So that's definitely what my parents gave me. That's a, the biggest gift that they gave me. Huh? You know, that's actually very interesting because I noticed that you do spend a lot of time going outside, and that one of your remember noisy bands one of your projects noisy bands was really about going outside and interacting with people more it's pretty cool that kids are getting all caught up in tiktok and youtube videos you know i see the i see the the fun in it but there's nothing as fun as playing you know backyard stickball or just going outside and making eye contact and making real friends and i feel that the youth in america especially but increasingly around the world is losing track of what's important so that was one of the motivating factors in me creating noisy bands which are these bracelets that you wrap around your wrist give a friend a high five and those bracelets shout sound effects how did that project go what were some of your takeaways from that i learned that if you share your idea with the public no one's going to steal it at least there's a small chance of that yeah especially if it takes some work to to build this that particular product i was not shy about telling people the idea at all um and that got me you know free access to elementary schools with super stoked teachers who let me present the engineering behind the product to the students in exchange for tons of video and photo content lots of feedback from friends and family of you know how how the product should look how it should feel what it should do which i wouldn't have received if i were protective about my idea yeah so that's probably not universally applicable but i would recommend other startup founders especially people who are creating a innovative product to not um overestimate the risk of being open about your idea yeah i I think one of the big things about starting a like business is that even though you have the idea the execution is also one of the most important parts like i mean I'm sure we all had a bunch of cool ideas that 
actually came into fruition from other companies and it's ultimately because they had the idea and they executed on it that made it successful yeah totally so what projects are you working on now right now i'm most excited about surf patch in the surf community everyone pretty much has a black neoprene wetsuit if they live in a cold climate california australia south africa europe and these wetsuits are a blank canvas they're not really decorated except for the rare you know maybe two by two inch wetsuit manufacturer logo so surf patch is a way of getting your own designs whether it's a surf shop brand or a surf club inside joke onto your wetsuit so that you can rock your style out in the ocean um we started this in Pacific Beach. Started it with my friend Christian, who is awesome and currently lives in Florida. Hopefully, he'll move back and yeah, live with yeah, the yeah. both of us in the future. That'd yeah, be rad. Um, and it's been really fun because it has started helped me start a, a lot of fun conversations out in the lineup, out in the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, people will paddle up and say, "Hey, why is there a poop emoji on your back?" and get started talking with them it's a lot of fun it allowed me to connect with some big surfers and even surf with one of them yeah two of us went and surfed with sean poops in oceanside (laughs) that's pretty rad jamie o'brien's best friend um and that business might turn into something it might might uh bloom might flourish right now i get orders online through the online website surfpatchsd.com where people go on, they submit their own custom designs, and on top of that, a lot of groms or young surfers are hitting me up and asking if they could be reps. So really? it's fun to get them involved. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. Anyone could be a, be a rep. Well, one of your reps is Johnny the Ripper. In, uh, Johnny the Ripper. Yeah, he's won like the world championships for youth or something. Yeah, he's really good at nose riding. He and his yeah, friends, Adam Waikiki, Oahu... They have a lot of fun together. It seems like uh, Beach. the group to be friends with. And uh, yeah, it's, it's cool that he's stoked about the surf patches and um, hope to meet him in person at some point. Since I watched you build the whole business from like scratch, I thought one of the most respectable things that you did was that you were able to walk into shops and just blindly sell people on your product and not be super nervous. Yeah, so... You have lessons on that? Like, in general... I'm pretty uh, pretty grateful for that quality in my personality. I think I have a lot to work on, but one thing I'm pretty happy with is that um, maybe like 30% of the time, I feel, feel pretty confident talking to anybody. Yeah. Um, which I guess is a lot, you know? If I, if I uh, weren't true to myself, I'd probably say all the time, but, um, uh, you know, I think I obtain that ability to put fear aside when talking to strangers through playing bucket drums so you were saying that you know i didn't listen to people's advice and moved to hawaii and then california after yeah college i mean no one was advising me against that really but i uh, would say that it's against the tradition the grain against the grain against the grain and i would say the idea of graduating from a good college and then sitting on a subway platform with paint buckets playing hip-hop beats is something that I was implicitly advised against (laughs) by my parents, um, just by them not being very excited about 
my stories that I would share with them from the subway. Earlier you had asked me how I can walk into a surf shop and pitch surf patches as a product to display and sell at their store without fearing the shop managers rejecting me. And that definitely goes back to my bucket drumming hobby. So after college, I started playing bucket drums, boardwalks, subways, all over. It took me um, to a lot of neat experiences and introduced me to a lot of people. But more importantly, it desensitized me to rejection. Because when you're busking, when you're performing on sidewalks, boardwalks, when you're doing street performance, some people are going to be stoked on the beats that I play, the hip-hop beats and the plastic paint buckets. And some people will even come over and do gymnastics or backflips and freestyle rap, and that's the best. But most people just walk straight by and make me feel ignored. So year after year, I guess hour after hour of playing beats on paint buckets and having some people be stoked, most people walking right by, desensitized me to the fear of rejection. And what kept me going, what kept me excited about the hobby, excited about performing in public and turning sidewalks into uh, stages is the knowledge that regardless of how inexperienced and unimpressive you might be initially with a hobby or a job or whatever goal it is you are pursuing, with time you will surely improve. And keeping that in mind is solace and motivation for keeping on so can we take it back a step yeah sure how how did that whole hawaii thing happen like i'd heard you were living in new york first but can you lead us into how the move to hawaii happened and eventually how you moved to california like the story behind that yeah basically i took took a plane to hawaii and then a year later i took a plane to california (laughs) so what went on behind why did you decide to go to hawaii and why did you decide to come to california you know I went to Princeton and like other Ivy League schools and I guess reputable schools, there's a big drive to work in finance or consulting, business consulting. And you have really you have a really clear sense of that industry and what people are like who work in those industries when you go to one of these schools because the um, company reps they'll they'll uh, feast on college seniors like lions in the serengeti and with recruitment with recruitment yep and uh you know you you can't completely ignore that option of a career after graduation so i went to a couple of the the um career events with you know mckinsey and whatnot and it just was obvious (laughs) to me that like if you go down that route uh well i'm saying that that route's not for me like i wanted to live in the moment and i think that there's uh, a lot to be gained from those industries, but at the same time, there's a lot to be lost. In in particular, I'm referring to um, a lot of you know relationships and exciting life events that you can only really enjoy to the fullest in your 20s. So I said, I'm not going to continue this rat race and uh, delay my pleasure in life. Just gonna go do what people wait forty years to do and <laughs> hop on a plane and live in Hawaii. But it wasn't that easy. Like I, I, I you know, I had the opportunity. Yeah. So, um, forever grateful for my boss out there. His name was Alec, best boss ever, actually. And the opportunity to actually work as an engineer. And 
live in a pretty rad place. What was uh, your time in Hawaii like? So it was an amazing year. Literally super fun. In what way? So before I moved to Hawaii, I had an interview over Skype with my future boss who was living on Maui. Um, Picture working in New York City, commuting back home one day, in August and this freelancer who also does work for the boss in Hawaii was walking to the same subway train that I was and he asked me hey what do you want to do um, after this internship is over and I said I don't know I think it'd be pretty neat to live in Hawaii and the reason I said that was partly because I was living with a Hawaiian guy and um, he had some neat stories about the islands so yeah I pretty much went home emailed the guy I said hey I heard that you might be looking for an engineer uh, this is uh, definitely a shot in the dark, but I thought I'd reach out. And he emails me back within a couple of minutes and says, wow. hey, can you Skype? So I put through on a button-down shirt and sat up on my bed. And uh, this was at the NYU dormitories and pretty much chatted with this guy for an hour. And he kept asking me questions about my technical experience, but also about you know my character and um, what kind of person I was, including, are you tall? What would he ask that? So he had a previous coworker who was very helpful in the business but left to california because he wanted to um get married or find a girlfriend and my boss thought it was difficult for guys to date girls in hawaii if they were short (laughs) (laughs) and then i did the same thing i moved to california but um yeah i guess he was but he ended up moving to california too yeah. yeah oh in, yeah that's right your boss was in Mateo now, yeah. yeah it's crazy yeah basically after the interview it's like okay so uh what airport do you want us to fly out of and i was thinking oh my goodness it's insane but i guess i played it cool i'm like um <laughs> yeah let me uh take a look at the flights <laughs> and then uh okay so i was sleeping in my college friend's closet in the upper west upper east side for the next month while i was still going back and forth with this guy and um, uh, waiting for an offer and every night when I fell asleep in his small walk-in closet you lived in a closet oh yeah I lived in a closet in the oh, what's, that, what's that story it's a lot of fun to live with your college friends in their apartment in the Upper East Side and have the only room in the house that is silent and completely dark at night when you live next to the Queensboro Bridge and they can't go to sleep but yeah I live with Eric Julian Scott it really intellectual and fun creative guys we would stay up really late every night talking about philosophy girls science future not so much about sports really and uh yeah wow in new york it was not a place i want to live forever but it was a really fun summer so then yeah basically every night i would fall asleep in that closet looking at photographs of hawaii and i'll tell you what Usually when you take a photograph of the sunset here in Pacific Beach or, you know, photographs anywhere, unless you're Jake, Jaden Croft, they don't really do justice. Or if you're Arnold Schren taking photos of uh, beautiful girls at the beach, they don't, photos in other circumstances don't do the justice to the actual scene, right? Mm-hmm. And that was totally true with Hawaii. Like you think looking at these photos, wow, this is a beautiful place. These photos must be edited. These must be, um, this can't be what it really looks like. But then you go there and... The views of the sunsets over the waterfalls and the rainbows and the stars are crazy beautiful. Like way more beautiful than even in the photos. And honestly, I didn't know anything about Hawaii. I thought it was just going to be a built-up beach like Honolulu. But then I get there to Maui, 
and it's pretty undeveloped. You have miles and miles of sugarcane fields and cow pastures. Mm-hmm. It's pretty darn undeveloped. And then they have an entire face of the volcano on the southeast side that's just rock and desert. So really beautiful, untouched nature out there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could tell you some stories. So basically, I lived with really incredible landlords. I lived with my landlords. They were a couple from San Diego who moved out to Hawaii 25 years ago. They spent every summer in Alaska doing um, working for the National Park Service, and then they spend the winters going skinny dipping, working in bikini shops at the uh, small mom and pop grocery shop, and painting at the beach. Hmm. That's what they do every day. And they're very uh, literate, creative, and heart or warm-hearted people. So I was very blessed to live with them, Nick and Sissy. Um, and they really showed me a good time. I mean, they did these full moon hikes where they would get together all their friends on the island and invite their friends from the National Park Service in Denali to visit them in Alaska, get all the tenants in the house, including myself, together, and we would drive up Haleakala up the 10,000 foot volcano mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. I would wow. chill in the flat bed of their truck covered with a sleeping bag and looking up at the stars with one of their friends side by side. And then we'd, um, the, the truck would stop moving and we'd be 10,000 feet above the Pacific Ocean. And we'd be the only ones up there because no one goes hiking at night in the volcano crater except for Nick and Sissy. Wow. <laughs> so we put on our headlamps and would start descending into the crater at moonset as the moon was setting and by the time we got down to the bottom of the crater because you know it's pretty deep in in the top there it's uh probably like i don't know a thousand five hundred thousand feet deep from the crest to the bottom of the crater mm-hmm. um and then we were there for sunrise it's magnificent i mean wow. it's really a different landscape and i wouldn't have done that unique experience without living with Sissy. And then I was also up there with Kunta, really awesome guy who I've mm-hmm. talked to, told you about several times and is always down to host friends when they're visiting the island. Um, and uh, the two of us actually got lost in the volcano together. Oh no. Yeah, so it's maybe a 13 mile hike across the volcano and you can't really see where you're going because all these tiny cinder cones scattered throughout the crater. So you can't see more than, I don't know, a, thousand, you know, a few football fields in front of you where many of the parts of the trail and we literally got lost and uh i was shouting and then we separated so i'm shouting kuta kuta nick <laughs> and i wasn't hearing anything back so i was thinking oh man i'm gonna be stuck up here in the crater mm-hmm. and this isn't you know it's not the um middle of it's not fifth avenue it's not likely that another person's gonna walk by yeah no one's there anytime right? soon no one's there you know just <laughs> nene birds nene geese and rare tourists who also happen to get lost but then we'd probably just be lost together and um when I was lost, when I was meandering around trying to find my way back to the group, I picked my head up and saw the three peaks of the big island. And I went back, finally found Nick and Sissy, and told them, hey, lost you guys, but I saw that really awesome view over there. Like, what view are you talking about? And they've been going there for years. But they always stick to the trail. Mm-hmm. So that was neat. Um, other cool experiences with Nick and Sissy. I mean, every night, I would sit on the surfboard bench that Nick had created, the surfboard swing. He took a longboard, painted it hung it up with chains underneath of a tree in the front lawn. And we would just rock back and forth and read each other Ray Bradbury and uh, Roald Dahl short stories under Nick's um, red headlamp. 
and I would wear my mosquito suit. Nick didn't really care about the mosquitoes. He was always wearing camel pants anyway. Um, but yeah, I would pretty much tuck my pants into my socks. <laughs> nice. I'd wear a hoodie and sweat under my hoodie because it's still 80 degrees at night, but I don't want to get stung by too many mosquitoes. And then um, I was really good friends with this beautiful Cuban massage therapist who also likes to windsurf. Her name was Maria, and we had a lot of fun times together. Since she's from Cuba, I remember we would drive around to the wet side of the island in her car, and she would just stop the car short and say, Gideon, Gideon, um, coconut tree or sugar cane. And she would open the door, grab the machete from her trunk, <laughs> and walk to the side of the road and and take a, a and slash down the sugar cane stalks. And um, she would also shimmy her way up the trunk of these coconut trees and twist coconuts off the top and throw, wow. throw them down to me. Say, so put these in the back seat, Gideon. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> and um, then we would drive to the beach, Hamoa Beach or Koki Beach, beautiful beaches that are not too crowded at all and um, lay on the sand with her son and our other friends of ours and just lay there and strip the skin off the sugar cane with the machete and hand each other pieces to chew on while washing the tropical fish in the sun. This it, it was literally, this is it, this is what happened. I, I'm not making anything up. And then, um, yeah, just sitting, sipping coconut and then on the Maria Mobile drive back to Paia, I would sit in the back seat and scrape the coconut meat off the inside of the coconut and just sit in the back seat mm, eating coconut that's meat. That's the best part. It was so nice. And then, yeah, we had a lot of fun times surfing together and me being the city or suburban kid I was, I first ran on the street when I when I first moved to Hawaii. I was putting on sneakers and running running up into the street because I like to go for jogs. And she's like, wait, what do you, what do? You do? What do you, <laughs> Come with me tomorrow. Meet me at the beach. So met her at the beach. I was wearing my shoes. She's like, take your shoes off. <laughs> and we just ran through the sand, splash, you know, kicking through the, wading through the water, and um, and there was this really nice, beautiful stretch of sands called uh, um, Baldwin Beach. Um, and then on the way back, we would you know run back to where we started, and then dive into the water and swim around for a while. Um, and of course you just need a bathing suit it's warm as a bathtub and then I just I did that every single morning that was my new run and so it's beautiful wow. you can't have a bad day when you wake you can't have a bad day when you wake up well first you're gonna wake up at 4am because the roosters are gonna be making sounds in your backyard so you go to the patio and grab one of the kukui nuts that you have in the tin pail and peg them in the general direction of the roosters until they run away but after that you go back to sleep wake up at like 6.30 or 7 and some days you just wake up, eat a banana. You want to, you know, walk to the front lawn and twist a banana off the banana tree. Talk about fresh fruit. Mm-hmm. I guess I haven't had a banana that tastes nearly as good since leaving Hawaii. Um, and you got to eat them because five hundred or six hundred of them ripen at once. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you walk to the front lawn, snap a banana off the tree, and go inside, dip it in your tahini and maple syrup, and. Uh, then you hop on the bicycle, you know? And uh, I lived at the top of a hill. And if I looked north, sorry, if I looked south, I could see a giant sugarcane field because our neighborhood was on the border of the sugarcane fields, right? So right behind the neighbor's house, miles and miles of bright green grass blowing in the wind. 
and uh, behind that was the volcano Haleakala. So we would see the sunrise. So anyway, um, yeah, hop on my bike, go to the main street. Well, sorry, there's just so much here. So I hop on my bike, and then I would cruise slowly through my neighborhood to get to the main street. And as I'm cruising through the neighborhood, I would smell all these beautiful hibiscus flowers and plumerias. And any month of the year, whether it was March, July, September, December, there was a different species of flowers blossoming and smelling amazing. Um, so then I'd get to the main street and stop pedaling. I didn't pedal anymore to get to work, but I would just cruise down this fairly steep hill for like, I don't know, three or four minutes. And the whole way you could see the um, north side of the island, the ocean right there in front of you. You get this Hawaiian ocean breeze in my hair. And um, it's I don't start working until nine, it's like seven 7.30. So biking down the hill and I'll see old man Charlie who runs, he owns a goat farm and a coconut farm wave to Charlie over there and then keep going 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 down the hill and I would see um, some yoga instructor from the yoga shala Olivia actually taught there I told her hey you should teach mm. here and then she actually found a gig there which is pretty cool um, and then I'd get down to the main street which is a T intersection so Kaia is just a T intersection on the right hand side you have Mana Foods which is the watering hole it's the grocery store they have an entire wall full of chocolate because the owner just likes chocolate mm-hmm. picture you're going to you know 99 Ranch Market and instead of the entire tofu aisle it's a chocolate aisle <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's a lot of tofu at 99 Ranch Market and then um, yeah so I would pretty much park my bike at the beach go for my run there was this rusty old chin up bar at the end of the beach so basically you run down the sand and then you run up the sandy hill some people would run up and down the hill up and up, up and down up and down with their dogs which was pretty cute I would get up to the top and just Hang on the chin up bar, looking at the ocean. That was a cool gym. And then I would go down the hill and surround myself with these bushes and do sit ups and push ups and all that down there in my own little private outdoor gym. It was glorious. That was it. That was the morning. And then I would go to work. And this was such a, it was a rad job. You know, most people in Hawaii, they're um, either on vacation or they're struggling to get by selling weed or working in a bikini shop. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a, it was a proper mechanical engineering job with a lot of software involved, and we uh, were basically making speedometers for Olympic sailors. My boss was really into it, and his passion kind of inspired me. And this other guy, Chad, was in the office, and he was just a really friendly guy who grew up in Hawaii, and took me surfing for my first time ever. Surfing was fun. I didn't think I'd be surfing, and then I'm out there, and all my friends are surfing, so got into it. Yeah, another time. Maria and I went to this famous waterfall called Twin Falls and there's a big waterfall there people like to jump off the the rocky cliff into the water um we went to the back of the falls and collected all this bamboo so our hand our arms were completely full of bamboo stalks you know 10 12 foot long bamboo stalks and uh, we we were just having, having fun picking picking the bamboo out. We were going to build a raft for her son, who's turning five, and he likes pirates. Put him on a raft and put him in the ocean. And hopefully uh, there wouldn't be a you know current taking him away. And, oh, you know. yeah. We're, now that you're a surfer, you can paddle out and save him. Yeah, I could, yeah. <laughs> so the lady who owns the Twin Falls property, she sees us and shouts, Hey, hey, that's my bamboo. Put that, put that back, you thieves. You're thieves. If you asked me, I would have given it to you. I would have said, you sure you could pick up, but you didn't ask. You just stole my bamboo. Get out of here. 
So we ran away with the bamboo. <laughs> I put it in Maria's car and took it back to her house and built a ramp for her son. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time at the Chabad, the Jewish community up country, which means up the mountain. And that really gave me a sense of community, like a center to my life out there. And um, it's easy to not have a community when you're in Hawaii. If you're living there for an entire year, it's nice to have a, a core group of friends. So I met, made friends with a lot of 40-year-old, 50, 60-year-old guys. Um, and sometimes I would even see them Monday and Thursday mornings. I would go to mm. Jewish prayer services. I'd drive 20 minutes out of my hometown to pray with these middle-aged men and then drive to work because I really enjoyed their company and I knew that they enjoyed mine. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have so many good, fond memories of Hawaii and I, I do look forward to going back. It's been three years. But now I have the freedom to travel a bit more, so I'll probably do that. I want you to have a fresh mango. Yeah. <laughs> so the rule is if a mango tree is ripe, then all the mangoes that are hanging over the fence on the street side are public. Yes. And grab, you know that? Uh-huh. And if they're hanging on the inside of the fence, then they belong to whoever's house is. But you know, you knock on their door and they're like, yeah, yeah, of course, take my mangoes. <laughs> I don't know what to do with all these tropical fruit when they ripen. Same with yeah. avocados. Are there that many mangoes when they ripen? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's different species, too. But the best fruit out there, it's a little rarer, is the Japanese little koi. Huh. It's very sweet, passion fruit. Just a lot of fun surfing. I would surf my own a lot in the rain and rainbows. So many rainbows. See a rainbow every few days. If four days go by and I haven't seen a rainbow, I'm confused. Yeah. Well, it's because it rains in there a lot, right? It rains there a lot and it's sunny a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I had so many moments where I just had to roll down my windows and say, F yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's this one stretch of the road where you could see the North Shore and the South Shore. And in fact, I guess you could see the um, west side of the island too. You're at the top of this this hill. You could really see miles in every direction. You could see Molokai, too. You could see another island over. Wait, you could see the North Shore, the South Shore, and two other islands from that vantage point in the car. I, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't have an accident there. You know why I didn't have an accident there? Because Hawaii is the best place to learn how to drive. Because there's not so many cars on the road. It's a two-lane highway, and the speed limit is 50 miles an hour. Mm. Yeah. They do say there's a lot of drunk drivers there, but I didn't, never encountered any. Yeah, maybe at night. Maybe at night. Yeah, and then Little Beach. So Sunday nights there was a big hippie drum circle, kind of similar to the full moon dance parties you have in Bali and here in Trilogy Sanctuary. Probably more similar to the ones in Bali, but not as trashy. And they're—that's <laughs> what I hear. I hear that it's just a bunch of Australian early. drunk Australians. Yeah, yeah, I hear that too. Actually. In Hawaii, it's a bit mixed. I mean, you have you have your uh, vacationers because the little beach, little beach, is, which is where the uh, drum circle dance party happens, is right next to the resorts. Mm-hmm. But you also have a lot of people who live on the island. So you know, families who keep their children sheltered and don't want them to know about uh, reusable di- or disposable diapers, kind of thing. You know, yeah, like the really flower childs. So it's know. more family oriented. These drum circles. I would definitely not call them family oriented, but relative <laughs> to my image of the full moon parties in Bali, they're more um, the people that are more uh, sedate and just there to enjoy the sunset and the good vibes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, everyone's on something. There's plenty of weird smells going around, so <laughs> probably not not the best place to take your 
kid. Yeah, so basically, you know, you go to Big Beach first. You got to park your car, go to Big Beach, and then climb over this lava rock to get to Little Beach. It's Big Beach is a giant cove, and then on the other side of the lava rock is a little cove called Little Beach. Super, super beautiful view of these islands offshore, and you get the most amazing sunset. And as the sunset goes down, the drummers go, they have a crescendo, they start getting louder and faster. And all the nude 80 year old men start to jump up and down faster and faster, which is kind of interesting. And then uh, um, at the end of the night, everyone walks back over that lava rock, and it's kind of treacherous and exciting. I would bring my buckets down there, I brought my bucket drums. I would carry them all the way across Big Beach and then over the lava rocks, which were spiky and difficult to climb over without anything in your hands. And I would sit there with the African drum circle and play my plastic buckets. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> that was so fun. And sometimes uh, women who were just as old as the those, those men would come over like naked 75-year-old women and shimmy in front of me, which is also quite interesting. One of the more interesting experiences I've had. <laughs> yeah. And then I would drive back across the island, put on my engineering hat, and go to work the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so driving across the island, I mean, I had, there were visitors at the Chabad, at the Jewish events, who needed a ride because they didn't have a car, all the way on the west side of the island, which was 40 minutes. So they would go with you? One direction. these drum circles, you said? Um, nah, sometimes. But what I was saying is that I really enjoyed driving across the island. Um, so much so that when there were young couples at the Chabad, at the Jewish synagogue community house in the middle of the island, um, I would drive them 40 minutes in one direction to get them home and then drive back an hour to get back to my house. Wow. Because there's nothing better than driving through the mountain pass in Lahaina side where Jake Jake's from mm-hmm. and blasting Jay Boog with the <laughs> windows down. Could you imagine that? Like imagine your best day of surfing. You're yeah. already feeling great. Yeah. And then you meet some cool people and you're showing them around the island and then you have the entire road to yourself and you can just roll down your windows and all you see is stars in the ocean and you hear Jay Boog. Oh man, that sounds good. That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would drive all the way back and it would be really dry in the Lahaina side because that's the desert side of the island. And because you know Hawaii is a microcosm of the continental U.S., where the northeast is really wet and mm-hmm. a little colder, and then the southwest is really dry and generally hotter. So the island, the mountain, blocks the uh, precipitation, blocks the clouds to generate the same weather pattern distribution. So on the southwest side of the island, which is Lahaina and actually Kiei too, it gets really dry, desert dry. While the same night, it could be raining a lot in Haiku, which is the wettest place in America. And um, they're only, it's, you know, an hour and a half drive apart, which is crazy. But yes, yeah, so I would drive all the way across the island, through the sugarcane fields, and get back to Paia, and it would be nice and humid. So I liked it. Or even raining sometimes. That was cool. I made an outdoor shower with made out of bamboo and surfboards, and there were usually snails mating on the ground and a spiderweb canopy on top of the shower to keep out the mosquitoes. My backyard had a giant jungle gym with a super fast aluminum sheet slide that my landlord had built they don't have kids but they welcome all the kids in the neighborhood to hang out in the backyard after school and throughout the summer so my house was a playground i mean all the kids in the neighborhood would come by and they knew me they knew my roommates and we would just hang out with them go down the slide with them we put our handprint and wrote our names on the swing set 
Um, yeah. And Charlie, little little uh, Gary, sorry, would show me whatever's new on social media and his. What was that app called? Where you, was it TikTok back then? It just wasn't popular. Was TikTok out? It might have was, musically. Musically, maybe. Musically, it was before the TikTok. Songs. Yeah. Yeah, and then you lip sync to it. You slow him down and speed him up. Yeah, exactly. So they're really into that. Yeah, it was a cool time. A cool time. I, I, yeah, my friend. A lot of my friends were already working, like nine to six or seven jobs in Manhattan at the time, and um, it's unfortunate that I missed out on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hundred hour work week. <laughs> yeah, in Manhattan. There was really nothing like. And then I don't. It was crazy coming back for uh, Christmas time, Hanukkah time in two thousand and fourteen, fifteen, flying back to Hawaii after that vacation I knew okay I'm gonna land in Hawaii and then Shlomi's picking me up from the airport in my car and we're gonna cruise across the island it's gonna be 85 degrees and we're gonna go camping at um the seven sacred seven sacred pools I think it's called um with friends outside it was amazing and it happened sounds amazing like, I feel so bad for everyone else <laughs> yeah definitely spoiled I, if I have to live in a cold area again in my life I'll feel um, like my liberties have been stolen from me yeah it's like, like no it's pretty cold right now yeah and I'm yeah. spoiled we're both spoiled it's like 40 degrees here we are it's I guess cold. we're gonna go do something similar soon <laughs> Oh my goodness, one of the best moments ever. I met this really nice guy. His name was Andre, Jewish guy. Um, and he was kind of like a born-again Jew. They call it Baal Shuva, returning to the faith. Um, you know, he grew up there, was a typical Hawaiian kid. His friends were probably all putting money into their F-150 trucks. And not 160, I know, 150s. And he's getting tattoos and all that because that's what they do in Hawaii. But he, he went to San Diego. He went to UCSD for... Oh, wow college and surfed a lot in Oceanside and then he joined the WSL circuit and went all around Europe and was really competing with the, the guys and then he moved back to Hawaii and uh, became really interested in Judaism so I would go to his house and once a week for a couple months we would study whatever chapter of the Bible uh, whatever Parsha was that week um, and then he took me to play soccer with him and his friends really nice he took taught me a lot about surfing we went out a couple of times um, I remember the waves were probably one foot and he was catching everything and I was so impressed. So I was like, wow, Andre, how do you catch all those waves? And he's probably thinking, this is, this is lame. <laughs> I ride 10 foot waves regularly. Yeah. You cut backs and aerials. <laughs> but he was such a humble guy, so he didn't say anything like that. <laughs> yeah, he was cool. And you know, then he moved to Israel, married a Jewish girl, went to yeshiva, married a Jewish girl and has a Jewish kid. Wow. Very different life from being a Hawaiian youth in the surf circuit. Yeah. Pro surf from WSL. Yeah. Yeah. The Chabad family, the Jewish family out there is so sweet. They had five kids and they let me be a big brother to them. Mm -hmm. Taught them how to play drums. We come to the house, give them music lessons, guitar lessons, and, you know, play hide and go seek and tag backyard, the front lawn with them whenever I came up for Shabbat. And I was the best hide and go seek. <laughs> they could never find me. What was that? You're like the biggest guy. Though. I know, because I would hide in unexpected places, like underneath of a garbage can, <laughs> or underneath of one of the guests' trucks. <laughs> I would just snake under a truck parked in the driveway and hide there. 
hope that they didn't turn on their truck. And I, I was definitely the most youthful of all the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was also the best at tag. I was definitely the fastest. <laughs> I dominated. I bet you're good at arm wrestling too. I would destroy them in arm wrestling. <laughs> they needed to ice their fingers afterwards. I had no I have no mercy. Age is just a number. Hell yeah. So I think too. I mean there's twenty year old millionaires nowadays. You would play lava tag? Where you pretend What's... that the front lawn is made out of lava. That's what kids do in Hawaii. I've done monkey bars where if you fall down you fall in the lava. Okay. You could so you do real that that game is a little more real in Hawaii because you could find a place and where you're on top of lava, you know. Wow, that's crazy. Not really. You can't actually, oh. <laughs> unless you're on the Big Island and there was lava flowing recently, then you could see it flowing across the road. Sometimes, if you're lucky. But that was that. Didn't get any giant tattoos of tribal hook patterns on my back. Didn't do anything too Hawaiian out there. I ate really good fruit. My my roommate was a cashier at the supermarket, a tiny supermarket down the block that everyone went to. My other roommate managed the vegetable department at that same grocery store. Another roommate that lived in the house before I did still runs the meat department. My landlord used to stock produce on the shelves at that grocery store. Wow. So I would go to the supermarket. Oh, and then I did have another roommate at that time. So I had two roommates who worked there as cashiers, one who would manage the produce department, and then a good friend who came over regularly who manages the meat department. <laughs> so it was so you got kind hooked of. No, nah, I didn't get hooked up, but it was just nice to see familiar faces and friends at the grocery store, you know? Mm. It's kind of like going here to Sprouts. You see the same cashiers over and over again. Yeah. Imagine if they lived here. Also, yeah, it's like such a tiny world. That would be cool. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about how after you moved to California, you worked a job for a bit, but then you decided to quit that job? What was the inspiration behind quitting that job? Can you run us through like what was the thought process that made you take that big of a leap? Yeah, a couple of factors. One, so yeah, I was working at an engineering consultancy up in Encinitas. And I just caught up with Eric yesterday. Really good people in that company. Um, and the work was really exciting. I mean, the projects that my boss was able to land with clients were impressive. And they were big projects that are difficult to scout out on your own freelancing. So I'm forever, forever grateful for those opportunities. He was a good mentor. So as a software engineer, I was just pretty darn underpaid. And there wasn't much mentorship at the company. So there was really no point for me to be there. So I figured I would continue to do software work and find my own clients and work on my own terms. So of course it was a little, um, I, I was unsure of myself when I was quitting. So I was kind of nervous about that, but with my contacts from living in San Diego for a couple of years, it all worked out. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine commuting and working in an office again. Yeah. Unless there is really great mentorship or other really good incentives to work there. But I don't know if my advice, like what I did is recommended. Because I, I feel like with my background, it's fairly easy, like fortunately for me to find a job when I need it. Doing what you do now as a remote programmer is probably still pretty hard for even anyone that's an engineer. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what... It, 
how difficult it is to get a job like the one I have right now. Basically, I'm working remotely as a software developer, and maybe I got lucky, maybe it's common. I don't really know, because I kind of just jumped into it recently. Mm-hmm. It worked out for me, but maybe I got lucky. I mean, we're surrounded by people who work for themselves. Here in San Diego, you know, people do all sorts of different work. Some people work in social media or make podcasts like oh yeah, you do. Um, and other people uh, run um, all kinds of apparel or consumer product marketing companies. So we're kind of surrounded by people who work for themselves. Maybe in this environment, it seems more natural to take that route. But if I lived in New York City or a different um, a different area of San Diego, mm-hmm. I wouldn't live in an area. I wouldn't have that as the norm. Yeah, I can totally see that. I, I do feel like we do meet a lot of people that work remotely and work for themselves. But in a way, I feel like that's because we put it out there that that's what we want our lives to be like, that we meet people that are like that and it yeah. manifests itself. Like, for example, when I was working, before I freelanced, I feel like everybody I met was set on this corporate path and whatnot. But after I started freelancing, I feel like when I, we're working with Jake, for example, like, I mean, I reached out to him and said, like, hey, I want to do this with you. And because we did that, now I have this other connection, which you met the other day, and he just hit me up where I'm probably going to shoot with him next week. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so that's nice. pretty exciting. It's like, if I hadn't put out there that, like, I'm a freelancer and done this for, like, the last year or so, I don't think those opportunities would have came up. Yeah, that's great that you did that. Yeah. And, like... Pitch yourself like that. Exactly. I mean, Or even just tell myself that I'm a freelancer now versus, like, hey, I'm just doing photography, videography as a hobby, you know? And I think that's that's why we end up with the community we're in. I think even if we travel to different places in the world, too, we might actually end up in similar circles. Because you said you're traveling to Costa Rica in the next few months. You'll probably end up meeting a ton of remote uh, software engineers or marketers out there, too. What kind of what kind of things are you trying to like, uh, expect out over there? That's definitely one of them. I'd like to network with other digital nomads, mm-hmm. and I'd like to surf really awesome, warm waves. Oh, that's right. Those are my warm... two goals. Yeah. Third one is to not get bitten by one of those scary-looking monkeys. What kind of monkeys are they? Howler monkeys. Are they these little monkeys with sharp teeth? Yeah, they basically have fangs. Do they attack humans? I'll let you know. <laughs> what else are you doing on that trip? I don't know. Maybe I'll do some yoga. I'm staying in this place called Santa Teresa. There's a lot of yoga studios. There's a lot of yoga studios in Pacific Beach uh, as well. And I don't do yoga here, so... But in a new place, I feel like it would give you an uh, opportunity to try something new. Yeah. 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 Are you only going to Costa Rica or where else are you going? Yeah, I'm only going to Costa Rica this time. Mm-hmm. What inspired the whole Costa Rica trip? It's a popular surf destination. Yeah. And I thought Tamarindo or something was uh, that spot in Costa Rica. Yeah, so Tamarindo is nicknamed Tamagringo because it's very developed. And that's great. I'll probably check it out. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to go to a smaller town, similar to Paia, where I lived in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, where there's just a lot of backpackers and surfers and tourists, not a lot of wealthy retirees. From what I've seen online, it seems like the area of Santa Teresa is fairly similar in vibe to Paia. Mm. Small town by the ocean. Yeah. 
Do you have any cool stories from Paia that you can share? Paia itself? Maybe about the people you met or like anyone around there? Yeah, everyone was amazing. Everyone was so awesome. I, I lived in this Filipino neighborhood and there was a family down the block with 10 children. Mm-hmm. And they, were the, they were the best. They were so fun. What did they do? Well, my landlords didn't have any kids. They just built a swing set in their backyard so that the children in the neighborhood would have somewhere to hang out. Mm-hmm. So they would hang out in our backyard and I'd come home from work and they'd all be chilling back there. <laughs> And Gary would knock on my window and be like, hey, Gideon, can I play your drum kit? Yeah. And he would um, come in and just hang out for a couple hours, maybe two or three times a week, and they were chill. Well, there's the nincompoop story. What's the nincompoop story? I, I said there's a lot of white people in Maui, but at the same time, it is Hawaii, and you have a lot of people with Samoan blood and Filipino blood, and some people are very true to their roots and when i went to surf at ho'okipo which is famous as a windsurf beach more so than a surfing beach mm-hmm. after maybe eight months of going there regularly i pulled up with my friend jonathan another white guy from new jersey and we were carrying our boards towards the sand and two probably 20 year old hawaiians walked up to us and um i don't know i think one of them had been drinking or something and he basically pounds his fist into his hand and stares at us and says, Get off my beach, Howlies. <laughs> Something straight out of North Shore. Yeah. Uh, Blue Crush. So at that moment, I was grateful for the opportunity. He, he was looking at Wait, opportunity us to what? fiercely. Experience. And I was, oh. he was looking at us kind of fiercely with anger. And I was just thinking in, in my head, wow, now I've had a full Hawaiian experience. <laughs> Satisfying. I've done it. And uh, my reaction was, all right, so I'll just go to a different beach because there's no point in fighting a guy who's all fired up. And Jonathan says, you can't tell us which beach we can go to. This is a public beach. And then the Hawaiian... Pierced, he uh, pursed his lips and got all frustrated and there was blood coming to his head. His veins were getting bigger. And he was searching for words. And he shook his fist at us in the air. And he goes, ah, You, you, you nincompoop. <laughs> then he left or what? Well, he continued to call us names. They included Donkey. <laughs> running out of words it seems like other names that might maybe maybe just maybe get you into a timeout in kindergarten yeah that's funny but we yeah we basically walked down the other staircase and surfed at that same beach oh okay yeah. what beach was that Ho'okipa was that known as a local beach or something nah it's known as a destination for windsurfers from around the world Argentina Israel there's a lot of big German guys there right Germans yeah so you can't say memory. Apparently back in the day, it used to be one of those territorial beaches, but now, because there's so many big Europeans there, mm-hmm. the locals kind of gave up Yeah, and decided to just become friends. Yeah, But yeah, it's a, pretty much like the windsurfing capital of the world, so that's why my amazing boss moved there from Vancouver and set up his office. That's why yeah. he moved there to do that. Um, I never, never windsurfed there. Can we dial it back a bit and talk a bit about your work ethics and how you are able to work 
so hard. Like, I'm, I mean, I feel like you're one of the most driven guys that I know, spending 12-hour days coding. Can you give us a background on what that feels like and what goes on in your mind as you go through an experience like that? I basically just like technical work. I find it fun. Um, I really love math. I've always loved math. And I think the same part of the brain is working when you write code. So it's pretty much as simple as that. Like, you know, I, I enjoy surfing. I enjoy playing bucket drums. I enjoy biking more than working, but I still enjoy that kind of work. So that makes mm-hmm. it easier to um, stay focused for long stretches of time. Yeah. I mean, not even with just coding. Like, uh, whenever you feel passion to, like, surf patch for example you spent hours working on surf patch too and like that's some razor sharp focus that i feel like a lot of people are missing out on do you have any tips that would maybe help people stay in line with what their goals are yeah have the right goals the only reason i enjoy staying up all night working on startup ideas like surf patch and noisy bands is because they are goals that I've developed from within me. You know, it's a kind of a self-conceived project, and that's where the passion comes from. So that's my advice, is find the right goals. Listen to what you actually want to do. It would be nice if we could always follow that advice and make a living. That's not always easy, but... It's something to strive for. Mm -hmm. And speaking on the topic of goals, what do you have in mind for you in for the next few years, for example, of a goal you're trying to manifest? Some people care about the world. Lots of people say they do and just care about their own success. I fall somewhere in the middle. Be nice to make an impact on the world. And I also am selfish and want the best life for myself. And I'm honest about it. So I'd like to use my software skills to contribute to climate change mitigation or natural disaster relief here in San Diego. I've been here three years, and every year there's forest fires. A couple years ago, they were pretty bad. It's scary, and partly for altruistic reasons and partly for my own safety, I'd like to make a dent where possible in safeguarding the future for myself and for other people yeah myself included sounds selfish i'm just being honest yeah i mean i think we all are a bit self. what's a, what's a better way to put it selfish because i think there has to be a good way to put it but we are like very much trying to benefit ourselves. like with media for example um so for social media stuff for the most part nobody cares about the content that you put out there Unless it's good content. So you put good content out, people watch it because it benefits them. Like, they care about it because, one, it's entertaining for them or it gives value to them or something. And it's the same with email, too, I think. Like, as long as you can do something that benefits someone, then they're more likely to respond to your stuff. Yeah, it's good insight. Do you have any messages that you would like the younger generation who looks up to a Princeton graduate a lesson set or a quote that you would like to share with people that look up to you? Yeah, don't judge people. Some people will, you, you could look at them and say, oh wow, that guy, I could gain things from them, so I'm going to be friends with them. Uh, but you could gain things from anybody and in surprising ways. So 
I think that something that can um, fall to the wayside and not really make it to the ears of younger younger generations from teachers or parents um, all the time, you know, is to respect everybody. Yeah. Unless they're cracked out on meth, in which case you should run away from them as quickly as possible. <laughs> uh, you have a funny story about that, right? Where? In Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz? Oh, yeah. Everyone has a funny story about running away from a cracked out meth head in Santa Cruz. <laughs> That's nothing unique. Spend enough time in Santa Cruz and you'll have one too. Well, I think that's all we got for today. Thanks a lot for joining in. Thank you.